We continue our consideration of various objections that have been raised against the truthfulness of the Bible in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible? The authors of the Bible claimed that God spoke with them and revealed to them the profound truths that they should write, and also that God inspired them in the choice of words so that the writings that came forth from their pen were not properly theirs, but in truth the word of God. Therefore, if objections are sustained against the Bible, then it either proves that the Bible was not inspired of God, which would involve great and profound difficulties in the text itself, or would prove that the God of the Bible was not strictly truthful in all his operations, which is again unthinkable. Therefore, the two subjects are intimately related, and it is of vital importance that we establish the essential truthfulness of the Bible record, because if God has not spoken truthfully in the small details of history, certainly how can we depend upon the Bible as it reveals to us profound things from the heavenly realm from which we could learn nothing of our own initiative. So in the ninth place we consider this matter, that some have sought to find fault with the Bible over the matter of numbers. Different armies that fought in various conflicts are said to be greater in number than could be possible considering the sizes of the countries that they represented. But we should remember that generally in those days all male adults were expected to bear arms during a conflict, and thus the size of an army would be much closer to the total population than would be the case in later world history, and especially since the advent of firearms, when many must remain back at home to supply a lesser number at the front. Then also there is the possibility that some mistakes have crept into the text as copy after copy was made down through the centuries. But certainly there is nothing impossible about what we find in view of these considerations. Let us remember that inspiration applies to the original autographs, and if slight errors have crept in due to inaccuracies of copying, these could not be proved to be in the original autographs, and thus such objections must wait until further developments. Then some object to the use of round numbers in the Bible text for the population of cities or various other usages. But there is nothing inconsistent in this. The Bible proposes to be in line with common life in its writings and in its record. When we say that a certain city has a population of 100,000, for example, no one understands us to mean that there are exactly 100,000 living there but that there are approximately 100,000. Although God certainly knew how many were in a given city or in a given situation, when he inspired such history to be written, 
It need not be required that God should go beyond the customs of men when exact figures would play no important place. For example, when Jesus spoke of the five loaves and the five thousand, and also referred to the four thousand in Matthew chapter 16, verses 9 and 10, we have an illustration of this. Do ye not yet understand, neither remember, the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets took ye up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets took ye up? And so forth. And so it was not important to refer to the exact number who had been miraculously fed, but to identify the event and bring forth the fact that great multitudes were involved. Surely no one should charge the Bible with inconsistencies and mistakes because exact numbers are not given when such would not contribute to the effectiveness or the truth presented. So next we consider that others find objections over the variations of words used and in the uncertainty of some. Some of these variations appear in our translations that are not in the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts of the Old and New Testaments. We should remember this. But we need to remember that the Bible was written in the language of the Jewish nation and of the Greek world, and could not but partake of any limitation of language that existed. However, the context of a given word will select for us any variation of meaning. When such words were spoken, a mannerism or a way of speaking would classify the use of a given word oftentimes. For example, a Hebrew word transliterated Y-A-R-A-S-H means both to possess and to dispossess. Also, the word transliterated N-A-K-A-R means both to know and not to know. The relation of other words in a sentence, therefore, and other sentences near the one involved would make clear the meaning intended. At any rate, such problems cannot be charged against inspiration, since God must convey his message to man in the existing languages of men. In the next place we come to a rather extensive objection in that others find fault with the Bible on moral grounds, in that the Bible contains descriptions of various sins which would be shocking to read in public. Also, objection is raised to certain cruelties and seeming injustices that took place, evidently with God's sanction, which we would shrink from in our own concept of public justice. Now it is indeed admitted that about every kind of sin known to man is mentioned or described in the Bible. But rather than this being an evidence against inspiration, to the contrary, it is a very strong evidence for the divine inspiration of the Bible. It is the aim of the Bible from beginning to end 
to persuade men to turn from sin and be reconciled to God. If men are to turn from sin, they need to have their sins pointed out, since no one continues in any form of sin without trying to cover it up and to make excuses for it. Then also, God wishes that sin be described as it really is in whoever life it takes place. This is one of the profound evidences of the inspiration of the Bible. It describes the shortcomings and sins of its leaders and the consequences that followed. Now where in secular history can we find a true account of its heroes? In writing the history of national heroes, the most glowing descriptions are used in describing their virtues, while their faults and failures are usually passed over entirely, or at best, mentioned in a favorable light. So generally, we would be surprised if we were told the whole truth about their lives. But not so with God's heroes. Inspiration has recorded the weaknesses and deception of many who lived the greater part of their lives in sacrificial devotion to God. We have Noah, for example, who was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years and who marshaled his forces, probably only his three sons, to build the ark and be spared through the flood. He was such a blessing to God when all those around him refused obedience. And yet, after being spared through the flood and being allowed to plant crops again, we find him drinking wine to the point of drunkenness and exposing himself shamefully. A tremendous evidence of inspiration is this, that God has caused to be recorded the failings of his faithful servants. Abraham, who was given the title, the father of the faithful, nevertheless became deceptive and called his wife his sister while in Egypt to safeguard his own life, which was a half-truth. This was a denial of God's ability to protect him if he would remain in truthfulness. Lot, for example, got involved in sin and shame because of his selfish choices, even though the Bible calls him a just man who vexed his righteous soul in the midst of all the sin that was about him. Jacob's great deception is graphically pictured although he was in God's chosen line of leadership in the nation Israel. As perfect and meek as Moses, the great lawgiver appears to have been during his 40 years of leadership so near to God that he was permitted to spend two periods of 40 days and nights in the mountain of God's manifested presence and was called a friend of God, yet... God caused such a true account of him to be given that a single act of disobedience is recorded. When God had a public sermon in type to be preached to all and told Moses to speak to the rock and fresh water would come forth so that all could drink in the wilderness, Moses got his temper up 
and smote the rock with his rod. This was of great importance to God. For this he was not permitted to enter the land of Canaan, although God tempered his disappointment somewhat by leading him up to a mountain and allowing him to view the land at a distance. Then God in love and mercy caused him to be taken into his presence forever, to be one of those who will serve God day and night in the glories of heaven. But consider this evidence for the truthfulness of the Bible. What zealous Jew would not have preferred to have this blot on their national hero left out? But we shall continue this discussion. Our Heavenly Father, with thanksgiving we come to Thee for Thy precious Word, the Bible. We thank Thee for the evidences of its profound accuracy, and that Thou hast in love conveyed to man the truths that man should understand in order that he might repent of his sin, exercise faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for the sins of the whole world, and be reconciled to thee. We pray that many may do so today. In Jesus' name, amen.